Scano, Sego, Ani, and Bonjour. I'm Kathy Sabokin, and this is Moment of Truth on 106.5 Element FM in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, and I'm filling in today for David Moses. Later on Moment of Truth, you're going to learn about Mr. Jane and Finch, an iconic neighborhood community activist. We'll speak to a Toronto filmmaker who captured his life and activism in a new documentary. But first, a topic that can be difficult to talk about, but it's oh so important that we do. Tomorrow is Anti-Human Trafficking Awareness Day, and with me on the line to talk about it is Coralie McGuire-Surrett. She's Executive Director of the Ontario Native Women's Association. Hi, Cora. Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me here today. Very happy to have you, and I'm going to just talk a little bit about you. Coralie is the lead manager of the Summit to End Violence Against Aboriginal Women, and she's created strategies for the elimination of human trafficking. Some of her other experience includes program and policy development, creating trauma-informed programs and services and agencies. She has extensive knowledge and experience with qualitative and quantitative research methodologies, community development, and over 13 years management experience at a provincial level. You're just so qualified, Coralie. Oh, I'm more humble than I am qualified. <laughs> well, when, whenever I hear or read about stories about human trafficking, it really makes my heart sink. And I can't imagine being trafficked or having a child who is trafficked. It's an unimaginable crime and total insult to human life. And I applaud you for being someone working behind the scenes to try to put an end to this. Yeah, I uh, I take direction from the woman and, uh, the, you know, we have to always remember behind every human trafficking story, first there's a human story and that we're all interconnected and that, um, you know, this work, it's not easy and uh, always remembering and centering that uh, the real experts on this issue are the survivors themselves. Oh my and, goodness. Uh, and, you know, it's an honor to, to work with them um, in addressing this uh, this horrible issue. Now, just so we can get clear on the definition of human trafficking before we dive in, how would you define it? Well, human trafficking, um, and the way it's uh, referenced within uh, with Indigenous women specifically, um, is that, you know, they're, they're targeted not because of their vulnerabilities, but they're targeted because of, you know, both their gender and their race. And, you know, the, the majority of the, the women within, you know, for Indigenous women that, um, from my experience, has been sex trafficking. Um, I know that, uh, you know, the strategies all talk about human trafficking and that, you know, there is other elements of, of trafficking, like labor trafficking, as we've seen in the news recently, and, and other forms of, of trafficking. But uh, the, work that, um, I, the work that I've been doing over the past few years, uh, probably the past 10, 15 years, has been specifically with the sex trafficking of Indigenous women, and that, uh, you know, Indigenous women have to give up um, sometimes, well, they have to negotiate their safety for basic needs, uh, which is why we are uh, here today. Uh, there's lots of different definitions out there. I think it's, you know, um, the UN has a, a definition and communities have a definition. And um, the definition I go with most of the time is from the communities, which is uh, actually connects back to colonization. Uh, when you're looking at... Uh, the purposeful intent of um, attacking uh, the heart of the communities, which is uh, which is you know Indigenous women, because they're the mothers of the community and and are valued within our communities, and 
Uh, we have to remember across um, Canada that colonization has specifically attacked and continues to attack uh, Indigenous women in our communities and uh, their roles as leaders across Canada. Just to get a, a little broader scope on the whole thing, I was reading some stats that over 90% of the girls being trafficked in Canada were born here. Experts suspect there are thousands of them. And, and of that number that is out there, what is the percentage that would you say are Indigenous? Yeah, the stats, they uh, all depends on every um, community across Canada. They have different stats. And everywhere that I've uh, been looking and from all of the research I've seen is that uh, the majority are um, Indigenous women. And why um, are they in particular being targeted? It's it's really like when you're looking at racism, sexism, discrimination, um, you know, people always ask, like, what, like, why is, you know, Halloween costumes uh, so important to ensure that, um, you know, they're not sexualizing uh, Indigenous women during the Halloween? Like, I, I know you'll see, um, you know, they'll have what appears to be an Indigenous woman on the cover of what appears to look like a, a Pocahontas type of uh, outfit and uniform and it you know it it tells society that you know um, that it's okay right when we're looking at why we are here today um, and you're looking at some of the cases of recently like Tina Fontaine and uh, other ones that really show that there is no accountability um, and no justice when it comes to Indigenous women and girls and and you got to remember that uh, we're also talking about children here. You know, what? a lot of people um, make uh, assumptions that, uh, you know, the girls are out there because they choose to be. Well, you know, how can you have consent when you're a minor? Um, and there is no choosing that lifestyle when you've been targeted and have been, uh, and the whole society and world tells you that this is okay and that there is no accountability from people uh, projecting violence against Indigenous women and girls. Not okay. Not okay. Not okay. Now, I was reading the average age is around 13. Yeah, and so how can you choose this lifestyle when you're 13? And that human trafficking is now the fastest-growing criminal industry in the world. It's very lucrative. And one girl girl in Canada can make a pimp 300,000 a year. Now, how do you, how would a woman know, indigenous or not, or other, if she's being lured by a pimp? How do they get sucked into it? There's gifts with invisible strings. You know, you're, you're looking at, um, you know, the girls, they, you know, they're, they're getting lured from other girls. Like, um, that's kind of what we're seeing too from other young girls. Uh, so therefore, like, you know, what people, project to see what a pimp would look like um, if you see you know the news and some of the pictures of the, the men that have been charged um, you know they're young uh, they're young men and you know there's uh, but it's very strategic they have manuals they, they've uh, on how to do this work and so we're, we're doing everything we can to counteract it um, at the beginning by teaching girls on boundaries and safety and we as a collective community need to step up and work uh, work together better to uh, address this issue because it could affect um, any one of us in our families. It could affect our daughters, our 
our mothers, our sisters, our friends, our family, no one is safe from this. No one. No, I was reading a story you mentioned how uh, it's often men who lure that uh, one woman met a female, a new friend. They went out together and then it got really nasty after the woman called the next day and said, you owe me all kinds of money for drinks that I paid for you and cover charges, etc. And then she introduced her to two pimps and it all started from there, from this woman made to think that she owed these new so-called friends she met money and anyway she and long story short she got forced into stripping and prostitution she had a really hard time getting out yeah and she kept telling uh, her clients and no one would help her she said clients included like lawyers etc no one would help yeah and i think and there's an accountability piece there i think um these uh abusers um, you know, who are abusing these young girls, they need to be held accountable as well. You know, uh, are, should the pimps be held accountable? Completely, yes. But at the same time, we have to also look at, uh, you know, the demand and and who is on the demand list, right? You exactly. Have, you know, and so they need to be held accountable uh, for this as well. Are most of these women who are being lured and girls, are they in urban centers for the most part? Uh, from the most person, from what I've seen so far, just because when you're looking at, um, you know, sex trafficking and uh, they're, they're luring, luring them from remote uh, communities, uh, you know, with, you know, these promises and these gifts with invisible strings that um, I keep referring to. And before you know it, um, they're, they're ingrained and uh, into the, the sex trade. Right, and maybe they're even less street savvy than young women living in the city. Yes, yeah, in a way, and uh, yeah. And when you're looking, when they do, like you said, uh, the one girl reaching out and telling people, and nobody believed her. Uh, so when you're looking at, you know, another reason why this is so rampant in Canada is because people don't believe women when uh, women disclose that they've been sexually abused or violated. Uh, you know, the number of um, unfounded cases in Canada is really high in majority of the communities. And, you know, so we, that's where I said we all have to work collectively together. Like, you know, as parents, we need to believe our children. As uh, community members, we need to to help uh, women who ask for it. And, you know, as, you know, healthcare providers, uh, justice, police, um, that's what we've been hearing is like, the women who are able to get out is because somebody believed them and supported them and helped them uh, to access services and uh, programming that they needed to begin their healing journey. Is a lot of this luring being done on the internet? Well, I would say yes. And uh, we're seeing it on buses. Uh, we're seeing it in, you know, uh, public settings, like very openly in the public. Um, and so, you know, when you're looking at being attuned to what's going on around you, um, you know, call the police uh, if you see something that looks suspicious. And what and, is what are the signs? How would you know if you're a mom or a friend? How would you know? Yeah, I think you're looking at changes in behavior uh, of your your child if they've, uh, you know, suddenly have new friends. Um, that you really don't get to meet or talk to or the new friends are not around. They really don't want to to spend time uh, at home and, uh, 
different changes in behaviors if you know um and start looking at uh online as well is it is huge right like you've got we've been seeing lots of stuff with um you know snapchats and uh you know really it's very manipulative eh? the games that uh, they're able to do like they will threaten to harm an animal if they don't send uh, a nude selfie then the then they threaten i'm going to send this to your mom and dad what are they going to think about you so it's a mind game um and before you know it, it's it's happening very fast. So parents need to believe their children and support their children. So if they do come to them with something, um, you know, be supportive. So you're listening to Moment of Truth on 106.5 Element FM in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, and on the Radio Player Canada app. I'm Kathy Sabokin, filling in for David Moses, my guest, Coralie McGuire-Surrett, Executive Director of the Ontario Native Women's Association, We'll be right back after this, and we're going to tell you about Anti-Human Trafficking Awareness Day and what else you can do to try and help alleviate this situation. Welcome back to Moment of Truth on Element FM 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, and on our Radio Player Canada app. I'm Kathy Sabokin, filling in today for David Moses, and my guest is Coralie McGuire-Surrett, Executive Director of the Ontario Native Women's Association. And we're talking about the problem of human trafficking in Canada, especially of Indigenous women. And Coralie, you have been working on a strategy to help end this. Tell us about what you're working on. Yeah, we uh, did a provincial engagement with over 3,000 community members and 250 survivors. And uh, we asked them, you know, to share their stories and uh, recommendations on how to address um, this issue. And because we recognize that they're the experts and not us. Um, And so from that, we were able to create a six-point strategy um, called Safe Spaces. Uh, And it's really rooted in relationship and collaboration. And uh, it's key that when um, a victim is identified, all barriers are removed to ensure they are survivors. And uh, the six-point strategy is, you know, the first one is about being survivor-centered and survivor-informed services, uh, you know, that are delivered in a trauma-informed approach. Um, The second part is about prevention through education, training, public awareness campaigns, um, and then you're going into access to safe and respectful spaces and service delivery agencies that offer uh, woman-only programming so women can speak openly without fear about their experiences and uh, begin their healing journey. Uh, the next part of the strategy speaks to core supports for transitioning to a new life, including emergency funding for immediate relocation uh, for their safety. Uh, and then it has to be evidence-based policy and system reform, uh, informed by survivors' expertise and the successful uh, extraction of Indigenous women by multi-partner collaborative network. Uh, you know, when we, when we work together, we can accomplish so much more. And the last part of the strategy talks to streamline supports offered through a barrier-free, simplified process. You know, we need to really look at cutting the red tape for programming and services to support women and girls uh, to exit safely. So they know, they, as you mentioned, they have a safe place. They have a way out because... 
it must be horrible, especially for really young women who have no clue how to get out. They just don't know. How do you, how do you find them or do they find you? They, they find us. Uh, we, we work with women who are, um, who reach out to us and, uh, want to start talking about their healing journey and they want to uh, to move on with a, a, a different life. And it's usually when they become moms, uh, you know, they want to have a different life for their children and their daughters. And so we, we begin to work with them on their healing journey. Um, and what the, their healing journey is all individualized. Uh, they take the lead. We don't. Uh, we just uh, walk with them on their path. Well, I imagine there's a lot of fear about getting out. There the is. trafficking Definitely. situation, like fear of being killed, fear your pimp is going to go after you. Well, not even after you, your family, your children, your your animals, your dog, um, your sister, um, anybody that you love. Have you had success stories? We have. Uh, this year alone, uh, we've worked with uh, 19 girls um, and uh, getting them healing supports and uh, exiting safely from uh, sex trafficking. That's so good. So good to hear. So good. And tomorrow is Anti-Human Trafficking Awareness Day. Tell us about that. Um, it's a great day to uh, get communities talking and um, trying things out to uh, to learn more about it. I think it's, uh, a lot of people in Canada don't realize that it's here. I think when you talk about trafficking, people think it's in Europe or it's, you know, in another country and that it's not here within our Canadian society. Right, or that the women are brought to Canada from somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. And so it's a good day to be able to um, talk about the issue, but not only talk about the issue, um, but actually do look at doing programming and services um, to prevent uh, this from happening to other women and girls. Now, I see that Toronto police are holding a two-day summit right now, Ending Violence Against Indigenous Women and Girls Conference. That sounds like a positive step. Do you work at all with the police department? Yes, we do. Um, And that's actually part of uh, what survivors have told us to do, Um, you know, is that we need to be working with uh, police services. So any service delivery organization out there who is uh, wants to begin this work you need to begin by having a relationship with the police services in your area because uh, this is what survivors have said we need to do because uh, it's them that who they're going to call and so we need to work with them um, build a relationship so that way we can work together uh, to help the woman and what else are are some things that you've learned from these women anything surprise you something that they might have told you yeah, their stories to me are part of um, uh, my bundle now. And so, you know, when you hear a woman's story, you need to honor that bundle by by doing something about it. Um, you know, lots of people will always ask if they can talk to a survivor because something has come up and they want to sensationalize them and everything else. But we've got to remember to not re-victimize them in this process. And we have to, you know work with them and honor them that they are the experts and no one else is. That's something that I've really learned is that some people um, and agencies will claim to be the experts, but um, we take the opposite stance in that uh, women who've experienced this, uh, this violence um, are the experts. 
And, you know, the longer they're in, the longer their healing journey is going to, to take them. And so we have to remember that, you know, hurt people hurt people. Like there's going to be challenges in this work. Um, but it's also the most rewarding at the same time. And, you know, when I know we can work together uh, across our communities, across jurisdictions, um, and, uh, you know, both Indigenous, non-Indigenous, you know, we can we can uh, deal with this issue if we decide to just kind of put politics to the side and start working on it. Now, if somebody is a parent or a friend of, of someone who they think might be a, a victim of human trafficking, what can, what can they do? What can we do? Well, they should ask, you know, talk to the girls, um, you know, and just let them know that you're there all the time. Like, always make sure that they know that they have a safe place to go to if they get stuck in a really bad situation. And so that way they're, they're not going to feel like they're going to be judged over um, what's happened to them because that's a lot of times why uh, they stay in and don't get out early. Is there's lots of um, judging that goes on at the beginning, which continues to perpetuate it. And you know, often right? Set judgment aside for sure. Set set judgment yeah. aside. Yes. And then, are there agencies like you mentioned, safe spaces, agencies? Who who could someone call if, if say you're talking to someone you feel is a victim? or you think might be, are there agencies, other people you could reach out to and just go, hey, yep. you know, I think I know of someone who might be in this situation. What could I do? Yeah, there's, uh, there's lots of helplines and uh, websites out there for families and friends. Um, you know, there's a, a toll-free line here in Ontario. I believe they're launching a national line as well. Um, was a partner for the Talk for Healing helpline. Uh, to help get supports and services to the family as well and looking at beginning their healing journey together. And, you know, I think that if there is, if you suspect someone in your family is, you know, let them know that you're there for them. And that's the biggest piece of that way they have someone to reach out to. Okay. Well, I'm so glad that you're working on this, Coralie. Thank you for all of your work. Oh, thank you. Really, really appreciate it. So my guest has been Cora Lee McGuire-Surrett, Executive Director of the Ontario Native Women's Association. Coming up, a story about the iconic Mr. Jane and Finch. Sigo, Scani, Ani, bonjour. I'm Kathy Sabokin. Welcome back to Moment of Truth on 106.5 Element FM in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. I get to fill in today for David Moses. Well, Toronto, of course, known for a multitude of diverse neighborhoods. And in each neighborhood, there are people who work as community activists to serve the people who live there. One such person is known as Mr. Jane and Finch. Of course, he's a community activist in the Jane and Finch neighborhood. His real name is Winston LaRose, and he is a subject of a new documentary called Mr. Jane and Finch. And with me in studio is the writer, producer, and director, Alison Duke. Hi, Alison. Hi, it's Alison Duke. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm actually the co-producer and co-writer. Oh, well, we want to give credit where credit is due. Yes, and the and the director is Gaddy Conte-George. She's actually my business partner. We have a, we have a, a new production company called Oh Yeah Media Group. 
Oh, yeah. I like it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Now, a little bit about you, because we always like to dive into the guest. Tell me how you got into documentary filmmaking. Oh, wow. Now we're going to do a throwback to about 20 years ago. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So um, I was, uh, you know, for many years in the mid-90s, I was uh, uh, a, I would say, a hip-hop, urban music uh, producer, music video producer, and I later started directing music videos. And it got to a point, really, that it it kind of got to a sad point where, you know, people wanted music videos with girls on cars and all this stuff that I didn't really want to do. And and I was also thinking about, you know, what is the real life story of urban music, uh, urban um, people in the music industry, uh, you know, trying to make music when there is no black radio. And so I made my first documentary called Raising Cane, a rapumentary with the National Film Board of Canada. I, I somehow remember that <laughs> oh, no. from back in the day. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then you went on and produced more videos, a dead... A, a, documentaries yes. a deathly mm. silence yes a deathly silence was looking at um this group of mothers uh you move uh, united mothers um opposing violence everywhere and it was about the death of one of the mother's sons uh shagun farkasin uh and he was uh living in rexdale and he was murdered uh, say 75 feet from the front door of his house and it was a very convoluted um, story because, you know, uh, the police w- weren't able to solve, you know, the crime. And, and yet it was 75. Uh, yes. And it was, goodness. and they had a recording of the actual murder. Um, Shagan, to his, I guess he knew what was going to happen. He recorded what was happening to him. So the police also had a recording of that. And uh, so... So the the film was looking at gun violence in Toronto, what was happening in communities, um, and also this case that why wasn't it getting solved? And I I see of others. I'm just going to name them. <laughs> yeah, okay. My Joan of Arc, Through a Lens Darkly Black, Hear yes. the Story, Hear Our Story, yep. Traditions, Transitions. And it seems like you've you've found your lane. Oh, thank you so much. So how would you describe that? Like going into the communities, finding... Stories within communities? Well, yes. I grew up with a very talkative family and a a family that, you know, you sat around and you heard stories about everything, like from the past, from the present, like what people are going through. And I just think that that just became something that I like to do is listen to people's stories, finding out the truth, at least the truth from their perspective. And we don't get to see that often in the media, whether it's be, be on television or radio, because, you know, these people aren't really, you know, well, in the past, they weren't brought into these spaces to tell their story. So I just was very interested in that. And I thought that, um, you know, when I was going to school, I wouldn't hear these stories. And I was so curious, like, why aren't we hearing these things? Why aren't we hearing this history right. uh, about people, about the land, about, you know, what Canada is all about? Right. And I know from someone who is a news anchor that we don't have enough time to get into the backstories. So we might just say someone was shot and killed, for example. Mm-hmm. But we don't go any farther than that because I have three minutes to tell you five stories. Exactly. Right. So mm-hmm. it's great that you come along and you get to expand <laughs> and go behind the scenes. Like, who are the people affected by this? And what's going on in these neighborhoods? It's great. So let's talk about Mr. Jane and Finch. Wow. How <laughs> how did you find your subject, Winston LaRose? It's Tell us all about him. Well, Gaddy was actually working on another project with me in about 2016. We were working on a project called the Akua Benjamin Legacy Project, and we were 
telling the stories of uh, black activists in Toronto who have passed, like Charles Roach and Dudley Laws and Marlene Green and all these great people, great that, people. that that you know done so much for the city, the country. And um, Gaddy did a piece called Dudley Dudley Law. No, Dudley speaks for me, and it was about the sort of like the legacy of Dudley Laws in the community. And I don't know if you know Dudley Laws, but he was a black activist, always on the front line when there was any kind of you know. Um, violence or police, you know, violence or anything like that. He was just on the, it didn't matter race or, you know, ethnicity, anything like that. He was just there. He was there. And she did a great job with this film. And, um, and we used a lot of archival footage, but we, we licensed a lot of archival footage from the big houses. Right. And so along came a friend of uh, Winston LaRose who said, you know what? I know someone who has so much footage, footage on, on Dudley Laws, that uh, it would have made, you know, you would have totally loved it. And so he, he introduced Gaddy to Winston. And um, we found out that he's been documenting the black community for 60 years. He has over 6,000 hours of footage in this his house. Now you got such he's... wonderful archival footage. Yes, yes. Some it was of... so well done. And I was watching anything. Mm-hmm. I know it's hard to get that. Mm-hmm. I myself produced some documentaries. Nothing of note. Mind you. Oh, come on. It was in school. It was like for J school. But I know how hard it is to get the archival footage. And I was watching and I'm thinking, where'd they get all that? That's incredible. Yes. And we did license, uh, license a teeny bit. But you know what? Everything was framed around his archival footage because it was how he saw the world. That's what he would do. You know how I'm going out into communities and talking to people. He would just film it all. So it was like, wow, it was sort of bonus. like his, I know bonus, the archive became like his brain, like okay. over the last 60 years. And we just kind of tapped into it. So that's because, how you met him. That's how we met him. Yes. And then you found out. And then we found out that uh, in, so, oh, so, you know, we met him, we approached broadcasters, CBC was so amazing. They came on board uh, right away. Charlotte Ingle, shout out to her. She just saw the, you know, beauty of the story. And it was all going to be about an archival film about his tremendous archive of the black community in the diaspora around the world, whatever. And then in June 2018, he he decided to throw his hat into the, you know, the... To run for city council. Yeah, exactly. And for uh, the Jane and Finch neighborhood. And, you know, hats off, talking about hats, hats off to Gaddy that she said, you know what, okay, I know I love the archival story, but I'm going to follow this and see where it goes. And it just, you know, the drama in Ward um, Ward 7 and 8 at that time was just crazy. And the amalgamations of the wards. And then because Winston LaRose had Peruzzo and Mamaliti in his ward and Tiffany Ford, who was very uh, shy, like a shining bright light in, for the community as well. And it just turned into some kind of dramatic, I don't know, documentary. <laughs> there we go. But more on the man. Yes. Okay. The one thing that really struck me about this documentary, and not ever, having ever heard of him until the documentary, so thank you for bringing him to light, was this idea that there are communities in Toronto and, and within these small communities, there are people who really make the communities tick. And yep. Jane and yep. Finch is one of those communities where we always hear about the violence, the gangs, the shootings. And we never hear about, wow, there are people who live there who love that community. It's where they grew up. They like it there. There's the whole pulse, a a positive reason for being there. Mm -hmm. And how Winston 
LaRose really has embraced that community. Yes. He he himself grew up there. Yes. Yes. He he um, became the executive director of that uh, uh, organization, the um, Jane and Finch Concerned Citizens Organization, uh, 25 years ago. And there's we all know that though we all know people in each of our communities that does this kind of thing, right? They're the people that you go to, you know, that will help you answer whatever question that you have. You can borrow salt, sugar from them, and then you can get them to sign a form if you need it. You know, those people. And that's Winston. Yeah, something comes up in the community, you've got a complaint, you're going to go to Winston. Yeah, exactly. It's in the Jane and Finch area. He's so connected to everyone. Everybody loves him. And, you know, he's older now, but he tries his best to make, People feel confident that they can do it themselves if he's not able to do it for them. Old is the new. How old is he? He's 81. Which is the new 70. Yeah, exactly. Because he runs and stuff. He's still very athletic <laughs> He's fit. He's very, very fit. As a matter of fact, the sequence that they were shooting with him, um, uh, you know, doing this 100-yard dash that he does every birthday, you know, every birthday he does it. And he invites the community to race against him. And maybe next year will be totally big because everybody knows about it. But, um, you know, the cameraman on the first on the first try, first go, the warm up, he couldn't keep up. He's exhausted. So, he, so he, had to, he, had to, <laughs> he had to get a little bit of a head start before, that. you know, uh, filming him. It was really, really spectacular. We are listening to Moment of Truth on 106.5 Element FM in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, and on the Radio Player Canada app. I'm Kathy Sabokin, filling in for David Moses. My guest is writer-producer, director, Alison Duke, and we'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. On Element FM, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. I'm Kathy Sabokin, filling in for David Moses, my guest, writer-producer, director, Alison Duke. And we're talking about the new documentary, Mr. Jane and Finch. Now, yes. you were talking when we were during the break there that there were some indigenous people involved in this as well. Tell us about that. Very crucial part of the documentary. Actually, we do a land acknowledgement right before the film. And then we also um, talk about Jane and Finch, uh, the land itself, like the history of the land going back to indigenous uh, um, times where that's that's what was From there. way back in the way day. back way back and we had to and we actually had to um we just didn't want to just do like a you know just say these words we really wanted to educate ourselves about exactly what um who was there and, and all that and so we we spoke to um dr duke uh redbird um and he was actually i didn't get to speak to him um but Gaddy spoke with him. She met with him for like I think a whole day. They sat and they talked, and he and he and he educated her. Um, and through her, I got educated about it, um, about the land, and it was very very helpful in a sequence where we talk about the land. And um, David Strickland, he's a he's a producer activist, um, well known Native American, and um, we we ha- have some of his uh, his uh, artwork in the film. Um, and we use this artwork to explain uh, how the land came about and how it came about today um, as James Finch. So we're very, very proud of that section of the film. Uh, it's, it's, I think documentaries are, are supposed to document um, history, and I didn't, there was no reason not to do it. Like, it was just a natural thing. It's like we're documenting this area, this land, uh, Jane and Finch. It just didn't come, become Jane and Finch. 
just like that. It has a history. It has a history. What was your big takeaway about Jane and Finch having taken a deep dive there into the neighborhood, into the man behind the neighborhood, Winston LaRose? Well, one thing, it's almost like we were looking at it before it really get, becomes gentrified. And, you know, Winston's story is sort of like a warning shot like to everybody who lives there, that, you know what, things are going to be changing rapidly. There's subways there now. Um, Transportation has changed. And um, there's, you know, condos that are going to be going up in the area. And if people don't, you know, speak up for themselves, they're going to be moved out of that area. So the area that we all call... I think so. Where where else are they going to build in Toronto? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so we're I getting kind of crammed downtown. I know we're getting kind of crammed downtown. And Jane and Finch, with you know, it's cl- so close to York University. It's got a lot of land there that um, is not being used, even though it's a high density um, area. I just feel that you know, it's sort of like, you know, if you love Jane and Finch, you got to start speaking up for it, and and vote for people who are going to re- re- represent your interests. Um, and not just the developers who come in and want to make these condos and raise the prices of this is true too housing. Because everyone complains about things, mm-hmm. yet few will actually do something to alleviate whatever they feel the problem is. And that's where someone like Winston LaRose comes in. I went to my own neighborhood. I live in Corktown. I went to a mm-hmm. community meeting. I thought, this is interesting. There are people really making efforts to make this a great community. But there weren't a lot of people at the meeting. And yet I'll meet other people and they'll complain, oh, we don't have any, a grocery store here yet. Or because it's a growing new community. And it did, watching the, the movie, Mr. Jane and Finch, it did make me think about people like, do we have someone like that in our community? <laughs> it, it was You it, might have to become that person. I might have to become... <laughs> Uh, Mrs. Corkdown. I don't know. I don't know. All right. What do you hope the public will take away from this? I hope the public takes away a few things. One, that age ain't nothing but a number, right? You know, it's just so nice to see a vibrant uh, 81-year-old out there doing his thing and just being passionate. Also that um, activism. Activism, sometimes we think activism is on the street yelling um, protesting and all that. Sometimes activism is the, is the small deeds. It's the yeah. it's the little deeds. You know, being there for our neighbors. Exactly. You know? Being there for our community. You know, fighting for what's right. Fighting for what's right. It could be small, like you said. We don't have to be the person leading the protest. You could be the person. You know, just opening your homes or. You know, or you know, just giving someone a some a, 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 hand. Ch- a hand or a, hand. a chance, or sure. or and that's what I think activism is. We are on Moment of Truth, one hundred six point five Element of Hem in Toronto, ninety five point seven in Ottawa. I'm Kathy Sabokin, filling in for David Moses, my guest, writer, producer, director Allison Duke, and we'll be right back. Come back to Moment of Truth on Element FM, one hundred six point five in Toronto, ninety five point seven in Ottawa. I'm Kathy Sabokin. Filling in today for David Moses and my guest, writer, producer, and director, Allison Duke. Hi. We're talking <laughs> about her new documentary, Mr. Jane and Finch. Well, where can we see it? Well, um, CBC uh, POV Docs tomorrow night at 
9 p.m. I keep keep on wanting to say earlier, but 9 p.m. But it's also available on CBC Gem, the app. So if you download uh, that app, the G- CBC Gem app, okay. you can start watching the film from 10 a.m. in the morning. Okay. I did watch it myself because you gave me the screener. Well, yeah. Well. Thank you. And I, it was, it was really fun. It was fun and informative, really oh. informative. So, and then anywhere else? Are you taking it to film festivals? Well, then I think they're going to keep it up online for a week or so. I'm not quite sure, but then we're going to tour it. We want to. We're submitting it to film festivals. We just did the Toronto Black Film Festival last weekend, and then we're starting to submit it to other film festivals. But I think we're going to do an educational tour with this because I think this is something that I think the young people would like to see. I'm glad that you said it was fun because it is a fun, moving documentary, even though we're talking about gentrification. It's fun, but it's not shallow. (laughs) Yeah, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Definitely. Yes. So um, I think uh, I'm just hoping that a lot of people, you know, tune in to CBC tomorrow night. Um, CBC Docs POV or download the app, uh, the okay. CBC Gem app, and just you know start screening. And PVR people, PVR, you know, is a good thing too. That right. counts. Are you going to have public screenings like in the Jane and Finch neighborhood, for example? Yes, we're talking about that now. Um, we're we're talking about uh, universities hosting screenings, and then also going into York Gate Mall and maybe have a screening right in the mall oh, for people to come in and drop by and and watch the film because it's a film about community. I, I definitely suggest this for you, having some events in the community. The documentaries, very popular now in Toronto, well, in general, like everywhere, I think it's great that more oh, people are watching them. But even in Toronto, huge, huge movie town. Do you sense a growing demand from the public to see documentaries in your career? Have you noticed a change? I've seen it change and you know up yeah I see a growth and up until a couple of years ago I thought I don't know if people want to watch documentaries but it's all about finding the right people with the right story and then people are just so interested I watch a lot of documentaries you know all over the place Netflix film festivals and all that I love it personally but you know tastes change and I think sometimes we get so bogged down with issues that people are afraid to watch something because they feel they think they'll be sad because of it but I think that you know there's a new trend of telling stories in a different way where you can you know if you're telling a sad story it doesn't have to be all sad show the all sides of humanity and I think that's the way to get bums in the seats I think so okay good put you on the in charge of hot docs for next year do you go to hot docs I do go to hot docs I go to the industry side of of things where um, the filmmakers get together and get talk to, to funders and schmooze I do that a lot and I go to TIFF I do that glass of wine yeah. for sure get, do you get into any of the TIFF parties they're uh, hard to get into they're really really hard it's all about who you know and if yeah. they like you still even if you're a filmmaker <laughs> even if you're a filmmaker that's for sure hard to get mm-hmm. in there but fun times <laughs> All right. So, have you had any reaction yet from the, anyone who has seen it? Um, yeah, we're you know today there was a really good um, there was a really great um, review from John Doyle from the Globe and Mail. Um, he's somewhat of a tough cookie, but he really, really said some positive things about our documentary. Yeah, that's kind of shaky when when you know someone's going to review it. Yeah, he's a critic by by profession. It can be really scary. Well, you know, we're working with a really good uh, publicist, Sasha Stoltz, and uh, she said that um, 
There might be a, a review coming down the pipe, but I don't want to tell you about it. So it's a good thing that she didn't tell us because we would be like, oh, my gosh, we, this man is going to look at this film. To get him to look at something is, is right. probably quite difficult. But, um, you know, I'm glad that he he um, he watched the f- film. First of all, thank you for taking the time. And and then also that I'm just really appreciate the fact that he appreciated the film. You know, that's really good. Like he saw something yeah. in it that um, resonated with him and also with um, what he thinks will resonate with Canadians. And next Tuesday, a moment of truth, we have David Strickland in the studio who you work with. Yes, uh, Gaddy um, met with uh, David. She fell in love with his artwork. She thought it it really showed, um, you know, how she wanted to to talk about Jane and Finch and the land. And he came on board and he introduced her to um, Dr. Um, Duke Redbird. And um, it just made the whole thing just magical. You know, Gaddy's a really, really strong director. I'm so happy that to be working with her. And I'm glad that we have our, our new company, Oh Yeah Media Group, to make more work like Mr. Jane and Finch. That is so, so cool. Well, it has been great to meet you. I thank you very much, Allison, for stopping Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. and chatting with us. You have been listening to Moment of Truth on 106.5 Element FM in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. I'm Kathy Sabokin, and I've been filling in this hour for David Moses. You can hear today's show, if you missed the first part of it, via SoundCloud on Mm -hmm. our website, elementfm.ca that's e-l-m-n-t-f-m.ca and again we want to thank Allison Duke and the film is called Mr. Jane and Finch and thank you to our producers David Moses Andrew St. Germain and Caroline O'Neill thanks so much